everyone, and <clears throat> excuse me, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conspiracy Pill, the Mostly Hinged Conspiracy Podcast. I'm your host, PJ Williams, and with me, as always, is Abby Libby, who's getting me sick over here, I think. How are you I doing? I know, we really have to start masking on these on these streams. Yeah, we absolutely do. How are you doing today, Abby? I'm I'm making it. I'm feeling better, but I still sound like shit. I know. I think everyone's been worried about you because you've had to have had the longest like first it was COVID and now it might be another sickness and you're just like perpetually yeah. feeling like crap for like a month now. I'm pretty sure I just got the flu after after COVID. I yeah. think that's all that happened. Gotcha. Well, I hope you get yeah. feeling better. Let, let everybody know what we're going to be talking about today. All right. Well, we have conspiracy news. A, a, a lot of stuff is happening a in the conspiracy world. And some of that news made us think of some pieces of conspiracy past. And so uh, we're going to have some some dives into uh, secret societies, Jekyll Island, Bohemian Grove. Lots of news stories, lots of stuff. It's going to be a lot. Yeah, this one, I'm actually excited for this one because it's going to be a little bit different than how we normally do things where we find one conspiracy and we dive really deep into that one. And I think sometimes that's really helpful to give people the information and let people you know have a, a resource to find those things. But I love what we're going to be doing today, which is trying to make a lot of connections to things that are happening because there's so much going on right now. I mean, last week as well with the SBF FTX conspiracy that we did, uh, there's some updates on that and just a lot of links to it that we're going to be making. Um, it's been fun. There's going to be a lot of information in this one. So, yeah. All right. Hold so on to your hats. Speaking of hats. I was going to say, speaking hats. of hats, we... Uh, we're very graciously given a nice early Christmas gift from our sponsor, North Arrow Coffee. And we got these cool hats and some mugs in the Christmas blend. And then what was the other blend we got was the candy cane blend. And I've tried both of them. You just got yours today. So you haven't tried them yet, have you? I haven't tried them. And I think I had them, but they've been sitting in my mailbox because I've been sick and I didn't check it. <laughs> yeah, I was. it was very nice. I got home and I got. Uh, I, I instantly tried the candy cane one. And uh, I really loved that one. And then the Christmas blend was great as well. So um, if you guys want to get your own, you guys can go to northarrowcoffee.co and you can use code PJ10 or you can use code Abby10. And either way, you'll get 10% off and help support uh, the host of this, this podcast. So that's a great thing you can do. And my favorite thing about North Arrow, again, is that 15% of every sale goes to pro-life causes. And you can go to their website and you can see exactly who that's going to and how much that they've donated uh, really great company, really great coffee. I have not had a single coffee from them that hasn't been exquisite. It's all been great. Yeah. Yeah, and it's roasted for, to order too. So it's not sitting on a shelf. They roast it uh, specifically when you order it and send it out to you. So uh, good stuff. I do love the hats though. You guys like the hats? They're good hats. I feel kind of weird because I never wear a hat on a podcast, but I just like this hat so much. So this is going to be my whole personality for the next month. Yeah, it just replaced the uh, I'm not or I'm definitely not a Fed hat or whatever. I'm not a Fed. <laughs> you know, I don't care about my birds aren't real one anymore. It's this all it. it's all about North Arrow. All right, so where do we want to start with the conspiracy stuff tonight? All right, so last week we we covered FTX, and there's been a couple more uh, things that have hit. We wanted to kind of review that a little bit. So the first thing I wanted to bring up is a New York Times event that was scheduled to take place on November 30th. Uh, so in a week in New York City, had an interesting speaker lineup. Um, Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of FTX, uh, President Vladimir Zelensky, I don't know when he was going to get time to to come into this event. He's but, got uh, a lot of time on his hands for a guy in a war zone. Uh -huh, Does anybody uh -huh. else notice and that? Then, U2 concerts and Vanity Fair shoots and SNL. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, he and his and his relationship with, with FTX, it's just interesting that they would both, both be there. And then Mark Zuckerberg, who is kind of the odd one out in this lineup. Maybe not, though. I'll explain why in a minute, why I don't okay, actually think that okay. that's true. But go ahead. And then Secretary of State Janet Yellen. <laughs> it's it it looks like the perfect lineup for the money laundering, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, starting bench. Yeah, it 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 could not be more in your face. I I tweeted right after I I saw this. I was like, is this event still happening or no? Yeah, no, I and that's the thing too is like I saw that I I think I commented on this last week briefly, or if I didn't, it was in my notes. But there were so many things to get to. But yeah, this whole SBF thing is crazy. I just want to ask you really quick. And if you guys haven't listened to our episode on FTX slash SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, definitely listen to that because there's a lot of information packed in there. You've probably been seeing stuff on the news, but we tried to cover some stuff that was not 
going to be widely reported by the mainstream. But uh, what was I going with? with SBF? It's like he still has not been extradited. Right. Yeah. And he hasn't tweeted in six days. He finally stopped doing that. He finally stopped incriminating himself on the internet for a minute. <laughs> two seconds. <clears throat> for like two seconds. Yeah. He did send out a letter, though, this week, uh, basically saying, look, we're still going to somehow bankroll the 32 billion, 16 billion, whatever it is that we're missing. Oh my gosh. Um, he's like still, he's still trying to save himself. And there's been, uh, again, I speculated and I'm still speculating that he's going to get off with this scot-free somehow. Someone's going to end up bailing this guy out. I think, uh, I think the guy's an obvious fed or fed plant anyway, but yeah. Was there anything else you want to say about this, this lineup? Because well, you said Mark Zuckerberg had a reason to be there. I'm, I'm okay. Curious. So yeah, I want to, I want to explain this. So we put out, or I, I put out a, a short, you could call it a TikTok, but it's on, we, we do different stuff where we take these minute long uh, conspiracies and we'll put them on TikTok and on our Instagram reels and on the YouTube shorts. So they're all different name, different things, but short, straight up and down video. And uh, well, let me just play it for you guys really quick. Cause I've gotten some comments on this and I want to kind of explain some things. Cause there's some people that I don't think are fully getting what it was that we said last week or what we're saying about the money laundering stuff. And I want to tie that into to Zuckerberg here in a second. So if it'll play. What would you call it if one country sent $60 billion of taxpayer funds to another country for war efforts, then that country's bank bought $100 million worth of a totally fake crypto coin, and then that company that sold the totally fake crypto coin sent $70 million back to the politicians who took the taxpayer money and gave it to that country in the first place? You call it Money laundering, perhaps? Well, that's exactly what happened with the now bankrupt crypto trading firm FTX. And the conspiracy only starts there. To find out more, check out Conspiracy Pill, which streams every Wednesday night at 7.03 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we cover this conspiracy in much greater detail. Link in the bio. All right, so obviously with a short video like that, I can only take a minute to explain like the outset of a conspiracy theory, and then I'm trying to get people to come and watch the full show. Um, and, and you guys are, which is great. But I got some comments on that. And mostly it's, it's been overwhelmingly positive on Instagram. It's almost at 60,000 plays right now. So really appreciate you guys. And if you guys are new from, from Instagram, welcome to the show for the first time. Uh, but some of the comments that I was getting was, well, if they sent a hundred or sorry, if they sent $60 billion and the politicians only got 70 million back, then they're really bad at money laundering. So I wanted to try to explain this a little bit. So first of all, one of the things we talked about last week is that this one has the least hard proof. It is a conspiracy theory for that reason. And the more likely, and I said this at the time, the more concrete conspiracy theory is that SBF is paying off the politicians who are going to back his uh, his new bill, which is going to basically decentralize cryptocurrency. And that's what I think is the more concrete and definitely likely. I do still believe that they are money laundering through them. But let me explain. Let me explain this. OK, so if you send 60 billion dollars of someone else's money to fund a war that also helps you politically and helps you to build up the war machine and helps you to pocket money in other ways. And then that person sends a hundred million to someone who's going to funnel it back to you and they take 30 million off the top and you end up getting 70 million back. You're doing really well. You're doing very, very well because it was never your money in the first place. So it's not like yep. strictly money laundering. I guess it's maybe not the best word, but it's definitely getting kickbacks from taking other people's money and funneling it from one guy who funnels it to another who funnels it back to you. So the other part of the conspiracy that people are talking about is that this never happened, um, which, again, there's there's some evidence here and there. There's some stuff being covered up. That's why we tried to cover this last week while there's still things on the Internet before they got fully deleted. But basically, in March, um, FTX took a hundred took between 60 million and a hundred million dollars of donations from people and then changed that from crypto into a fiat currency for Ukraine. And they partnered with the Ukrainian national bank. And there's mm -hmm. been some reports that are now being kind of scrubbed off the internet. And if you try to search them, you will get a PolitiFact check. You will get a, well, 10 different fact checks that all say that the bank of Ukraine never actually partnered with FTX. They never actually invested in FTX, despite all of the stories and earlier claims that they partnered with FTX and invested up to a hundred million dollars in FTX, which is what I was talking about. So, the one thing that we also pointed out is after this March partnership with FTX, the political donations more than doubled, more than doubled, <clears throat> going into politicians who are supporting Ukraine and also supporting his bill. So you could look at it as one or the other. Again, they're both conspiracy theories. One is more concrete for sure, which is that he's trying to pay off politicians to decentralize cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. which will hurt DeFi and not his company. Uh, and then the other conspiracy, which has a 
not as quite as concrete evidence, but we've seen this before when Nancy Pelosi takes $10 million pork barrel spending to give Iran uh, a gender studies program. And then all of a sudden Iran is giving her, you know, a half a million dollar in campaign donations. It's the exact same scheme. It happens all mm -hmm. the time. So it's not even that much of a conspiracy theory. We just know that this kind of stuff happens. Right. So, And even, even if Ukraine didn't invest in in FTT, which is which is the <clears throat> coin, the shit coin that yeah. that the platform used, even just processing their donations through using that coin was bolstering the value of that coin um, and creating wealth for Sam Bankman Freed. So just the partnership alone was was doing good things. Yeah, and and uh, we've also seen more evidence this week come out about FTX software having a very illegal backdoor, moving huge sums mm. of money. This is not a conspiracy theory, by the way. That's just something that did happen. So, uh, yeah. it's shady all the way around. And when he's when he's a second largest donor to the Democratic Party and also creating a super PAC to establishment Republicans, quote unquote, forward thinking Republicans, who are again, which is code word for we're agreeing with the political the the party in charge right now that wants to fund ukraine up to 60 billion dollars a year of your money the the links are not that they're not that hard to make yeah and in case you think this guy is still like a nice guy who made a, a mistake uh i think we have a text that dave portnoy uh yeah so this was something we said last week as well where i said this guy he his whole thing was i want to make money in order to give it all away that's why I live in a $40 million penthouse in the Bahamas, right? And we're like, I'm like, I don't buy this for a second. This guy's fake. So then we see this just perfectly summing it up. Uh, it says, you were really good. So this is from Dave Portnoy, right, to, to SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried. Yep. And he says, you were really good at talking about ethics for someone who kind of saw it all as a game with winners and losers. And then SBF responds, ha, uh, yeah, he, he, I had to be. It was rep It's what reputations are made of to some extent. I feel bad for those who got fucked by it. But this dumb game we woke Westerners play where we say all the right uh, shibboleths. I don't even know that word. And so everyone likes us. So it's exactly what I said. The guy's saying, I just want to make money to give it away. So continue to fund my $40 million meth sex parties in the Bahamas because I'm a good guy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so this good guy uh, had been working on legislation to to help help the government regulate cryptocurrency. And, and now that he has created the problem that the government was uh, allegedly scared of. Now, as of yesterday, we have headlines from NPR that look a little like wringing its hands over FTX's collapse. Washington hopes to prevent more crypto pain. See, you guys, you're all in pain and you're scared of this happening to you. Let's, um, let's enact the legislation that this guy wrote. Yeah, that's exactly what I said last week. Uh, uh, Coinbase was actually speculating on this, and there was one commentator of the four on this one podcast I, I watched. And again, I didn't share the clip because some of these clips are just kind of long. Um, but the whole the whole thing was one person's like, are you guys stupid? Why would we take this guy's legislation and push it through? And I said right there when you've got Coinbase and all these other people kind of alluding to, well, we could still trust this guy's legislation that he paid off a bunch of politicians to get through to screw over everybody else because that sounds like a good idea now it's just become mainstream i mean we called it a week ago we said this is going to become mainstream everybody is going to push for it on december 7th it's going to be brought up for the senate or the house one of those and they're going to vote on it in this legislative cycle before before christmas so we will probably see before the new legislation steps in in january this kind of bill go through the problem that he solved and then created yeah no, no, this reminds not a fed, me of not something. A fed. Yeah. <laughs> this reminds me of something from history. Um, it's it's called the Jekyll Island Club. So this is this is this was uh, early early 1900s. We had the same kind of climate, except with banks. Uh, same climate we have now with cryptocurrency. We have banks. Everything was not centralized. Every single bank was on its own. Uh, <coughs> if there was a run on the bank, um, people could lose their entire life savings. And nothing would really happen. There wasn't a lot of uh, legislation around it. And so there, there were rumors and, 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 and worries that the government might try to come in and, and do something about that uncertainty. And so uh, the Jekyll Island Club 
uh, was was being built off the coast of Georgia. There's a little island called Jekyll Island. Now, this is just an interesting little tidbit, but in the story, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Jekyll is the good half of this guy. He's the one that wears the suits and he's he, he, he keeps all his morality and he's he's perfect. And then Mr. Hyde is is the evil vice-filled guy he turns into when he wants to. And throughout the story, Mr. Hyde takes him over. Um, so I, I don't know why the island was named what it was, but I just think it's fascinating. Yeah, so, I, don't, I don't think uh, there's a lot of coincidences with the way they name stuff, for sure. No, yeah. no. So a, a whole bunch of really rich people got together, purchased this island together in kind of a um, shares, like a, not really a timeshare, but they kind of all... <laughs> Kind of got together. <laughs> it was timeshares before timeshares before yeah. Fox News could get you out of your timeshare <laughs> and your reverse mortgage. Yeah, so there was a lot of really rich people. They weren't all bankers. Um, J.P. Morgan uh, being one of them, um, one of the Kennedys. You know, a lot, a lot of big names of that of that time period um, bought shares on the island, and so there was a big clubhouse that had. Um, apartments in it, but there were also cabins uh, and houses on the island for for some of the people who who were a little bit more wealthy. And they would often go uh, in the summer or the spring and and vacation there with their families. And so during this time when this club was established, a man named Senator Aldrich, who happened to be a Republican, and his uh, group of of banker friends who were all worried about legislation. Um, and got together, Senator Aldrich reached out to them in incredible secrecy, like insane secrecy. They got onto a private train car. They were all disguised. They, they disguised their entire journey so that nobody would know that they were all going to the Jekyll Island Club at the same time. If that's anyone that's asked, the way we want our legislation handled. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. If anyone asked, they were going on a duck hunt. <clears throat> this was November of 1910. And for uh, over a little over a week, they had a super secret meeting in which they wrote the legislation that established the Federal Reserve. Um, the group of men, all, all bankers at the time, they it is estimated that they controlled 25% of the world's wealth, not America's wealth, the world's wealth. Yeah, so much well, much like, greater percentage just of America, because I think J.P. Morgan alone controlled more than that of America's wealth at the time. Yep, it, absolutely insane. So they wrote the legislation. Senator Aldrich took it back to Washington, but unfortunately for them, uh, Republicans lost power at that time, and so they thought that that legislation was dead in the water. Well, it turns out uh, they were able to get Democratic support. So in 1913, uh, that legislation passed. The population was none the wiser, didn't realize that the bankers had written the legislation. They were like, yay, legislation to protect us from, you know, the big bad banks. And turns out um, it, it really only it really only helped the banks in the end. Um, there is a whole book on kind of the financial theory of it, and I'm not going to get into it, but if you're interested, there's a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island. It was written by Edward Griffin, published in 1994. Edward Griffin makes frequent podcast appearances. I listened to several where he came on and, and talked to people about about it, he's a very personable guy um, and, and tries to explain things for, for the layman. But he says there are no pros to the Federal Reserve System, that that in hindsight, we're looking back and, and we really only see cons and not pros. And some of those cons are that uh, from 1913, we have lost 97% of the value of the dollar because we went off the gold standard. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not insignificant. 97 friggin' percent. Like, holy shit. Yeah. No. Yeah. So a dollar in 1913 would be worth three cents to, or sorry, yes. I have it backwards. But yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? A dollar today would be worth three cents in 1917 or however, uh, 1913. <laughs> I'm getting it wrong. I know what I'm trying to say. A dollar in 1913 yes. is worth three cents. Thank you. you. Put a dollar I in the said bank. it right the first time, and then I tried to correct myself. 
<laughs> so going off the gold standard creates inflation and, and other things have also contributed to inflation. Um, but all, another uh, thing that happened is that you know, this, it was enacted in 1913 and in 1929, bam, Great Depression. <laughs> Only took a couple, couple decades. Yeah. So well, I want to I want to touch on one thing because because you said that the people wanted a federal solution to these these worries about banking and stuff like that. But I think that's also a misnomer with the Federal Reserve because it's not federal. It's not like that's the it's not controlled by the Fed. It's completely privately owned. It's completely private, and they have no reserves. Yep. But it's not yep. backed by anything. They they lend out way more than they have. Um, it, it creates a culture of, of lending and, and disincentivizes saving because if you save, inflation will just make it smaller. And the system is such that when banks go under, when they give out too many bad loans, instead of facing the consequences of their own actions, the taxpayers bail them out. I'm old enough to remember when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac got bailed out with taxpayer money because they gave out too many bad loans. And the Federal Reserve System basically just makes it so that the, the banking cabal doesn't have to feel the pain of their actions. The taxpayers will carry it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we still see that with um, uh, too big to fail stuff. Like right now, it's it's BlackRock is the next one we're told is too big to fail. Mm-hmm. So... Just a note on capitalism at this point before we, we move on a little bit to another part of this story. This is kind of when actual capitalism ended. When we started to, our, our financial system started to be run by uh, cabals rather than um, an actual true capitalism. And so when people complain about capitalism or complain about late stage capitalism, like you're not even talking about capitalism. The, that died in, in 1913. Yeah, I know. I, that's the whole thing is like, I, I've said this before. We, I think we were talking about this privately last week, or maybe we were talking about this in the extension over on Rumble. By the way, if you guys are watching this, we do an extension over on Rumble. So if you're, or if you're listening to this later and you want to get the full show, you guys can go to Rumble and we kind of get to talk with the audience and bring up bonus stuff over there. Uh, but this whole idea that like there's all these problems that people point out with capitalism, like, Oh, look at this. This is where capitalism fails. This is where free market capitalism doesn't work. And it's what, what, what they're, I'm trying to get people to understand is what they're constantly talking about is corporatism or a, a, which is a, a soft form of socialism. And mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, I don't like that socialist aspect of quote unquote capitalism. So what we need is more socialism. And it's just this perpetual thing of like, let's keep, let's keep getting more of the thing that's not working because people have this false assumption that we are mm -hmm. we're in the West. We have free market capitalism and it's a thing here. And it really hasn't been, like you said, in yeah. 109 years. It's like I'm experiencing symptoms of arsenic poisoning. I should take more arsenic. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So but there is there is another part of this story. So Great Depression hit and, and the Jekyll Island Club really, really struggled financially. And by the time we get to the middle of World War II, it is rumored that that members of this club spotted a German U-boat off the coast of, of, the, of the island and they just hightailed it. They're like, we're literally done. And so this whole, this whole club was dissolved. And in 1947, interestingly, the state of Georgia issued a condemnation order on the island, which allowed them to purchase the island for really, really cheap. Um, with the intention of making it into a state park. They purchased, purchased it in 1947, and for some reason, it wasn't until 1980 that they actually opened it back up to the public. Weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wonder what could, what could uh, influence that. Um, maybe it's the hundreds, hundreds of reports of ghosts on the island. <laughs> could be that. Could be. So wait, how long was it closed for? 1947 till 1980? Is that what you said? Yeah. So 33 years? Yeah. So what's up with the... Go like, okay, so just so people know, like, I sometimes when me and Abby research stuff, I'll stay blind on something and she'll research it or she'll stay blind on something and I'll research on it. So I have not been really looking into Jekyll Island a lot this week. So some of this is new to me as well. So I don't know about the ghost stuff. Okay. There's a lot. And, and I'm not going to get into any one ghost story. 
Now, I, the, the waters have been muddied at this point because Jekyll Island State Park really leans into the ghost theme now. So I think a lot of reports now are are just as likely to be brought up by the suggestion of it. But you have you have hundreds of stories. And when you talk about ghost stories, ghost sightings, uh, they tend to fall into one of two categories. There's the ghost, the strictly ghost ones where you, you see an apparition, you see, you hear something. Um, it's, it's usually the assumption is, oh, somebody died in this place and there's like a remnant of them. They're, uh, you know, they're not at rest. You know, you hear somebody pacing back and forth. Um, you see footprints in the sand, but it's not malevolent in, in those cases. And then the other kind of set of ghost stories fall under the poltergeist category where you have uh, a malevolent being who's, who's slamming doors and trying to freak you out and looming over your bed and um, messing with your mind, moving things around. Um, and the stories include both types there's there's um, even J.P. Morgan's ghost is supposedly there in his house. Um, a couple other people who who died either on the island or who were members who who died. There's a member who died in a train crash, and his ghost is supposedly around. But there's poltergeist activity too. There's one of the houses that was supposedly cursed by one of the kids that grew up there. The state denied her, you know, coming back there. They were like, no, we own it. I'm sorry that you grew up here, but like you can't live out your last days here. And so allegedly she put a curse on it and that that house has yet to be restored. Um, it, it just lots of weird stories around that house. Crazy. I see some people in chat saying that uh, Savannah, Georgia is definitely haunted. And there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on. I haven't yeah. spent a lot of time in Savannah. I think I drove there like once. Yeah. I had a friend on Twitter <clears throat> say that he had been to Jekyll Island and he hadn't seen any ghosts, but he he confirmed it, it feels like a creepy place. It's it's a it, there's something there's something, something off about off. it. A psychic was invited to the island to kind of evaluate it in 2000, and she said uh, there's a presence here, which is interesting to me that she said there's a presence <clears throat> here, because generally speaking, psychics when they're not legit, they do their research and then they come and they just kind of parrot to you what you are parrot what they've read on no Wikipedia. And if or she did that, she would have said. There's a whole host of of spirits here. Like there's there's a lot of unrestful souls here. No, she said there is a presence here. Creepy. In 2000 you said? In 2000. Um another thing is that there there is one Bigfoot sighting. <laughs> like Bigfoot vacations at Jekyll Island apparently. <laughs> wait, um, wait. Bigfoot sightings? Bigfoot. Okay. There's just one. Just one Bigfoot Just one sighting. Bigfoot. Is this the same presence as Bigfoot? And he's just like... It's, a, uh, it's just Bigfoot. You know what's crazy about Bigfoot is like there a lot of the Bigfoot stuff, if you really look into it, is like accompanied by alien stuff or accompanied by mm -hmm. ghost stuff. It seems to yep. be like really tied in together. So often it's... There are hot spots. Right. And it seems like Jekyll Island is a hot spot where you get a lot of different activity. Yeah. So here's my personal theory of Jekyll Island. By this by the time that Jekyll Island starts, the Bohemian Grove out at club in over in uh, California had already been going for like 400 years. So my theory is that they had you tried mean, you to mean, you mean 40 years, right? Uh, Bohemian Grove had its roots in the mid 1800s. Right, yeah, 1870, right? So it would have been, because you said oh, 400 you know, years. Yeah, so, yeah. No, sorry, go right. ahead. Right, I'm, I'm like, I'm mad. <laughs> I'm go ahead. 40 years. I just wanted, I just wanted to, to correct like, that. Go ahead. Yeah, enough time to, to get in people's minds and, and make people on the East Coast think, oh, man, we need one of those. I think they might have been trying to replicate it Yeah. Uh, over in on Jekyll Island. And one of the features of the Bohemian Grove stuff, which we're going to get into in just a second, is is weird satanic ritual and while we don't have specific stories of that from the Jekyll Island Club it was a very private uh, place and it wasn't running for very long but I wonder if the ghost activity is kind of the evidence that that they did something satanic there that and and that's the remnant of it well I gotta say like without knowing a lot about Jekyll Island is it 
is it a surprise? Like this happens every couple of years or in every conspiracy where it's like something absolutely like concrete proof comes out that the elites are into either like Aleister Crowley, like sex magic rituals, uh, which is a lot of elites, by the way. I mean, when it came out about the the Podestas, everybody's just like, oh, who cares if they're doing spirit cooking, which is an Aleister Crowley, like satanic sex magic ritual thing where they paint blood and semen on the walls. People want to like normalize and write this off. And I think Bohemian Grove has a lot to do with that normalization in our culture. Um, but yeah, it's just like, it's it like when you say that, I'm like, obviously, obviously the same elites who are doing weird satanic sex rituals in every other aspect of their life. And it's always coming out. They're into this weird stuff are, are doing this on a secret Island off of Georgia. If they're doing it anywhere. So, right. Right. Yeah. Cause that's absolutely what, what so I, yeah, I don't want to cut you off. Cause I, I know you want to talk about Bohemian Grove, but there's, I've got some stuff there too. So, Oh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Every once in a while, you're I not just allowed, cough you're my not allowed, out. You're not allowed to die, Abby. I'm trying, yeah. you guys. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, well, okay, I'll just, I'll start Bohemian Grove. About, okay, go ahead. Okay. So, mid-1800s is when the Bohemian Grove gets started. Um, I'm going to lean on PJ for this one because he has, I think, a little bit more information than, than me. But basically, um, um, it's a massive private parcel in the Redwood Forest. It's It's... Very strict security, very strict secrecy. This has been going on for a long time. It's a wildly exclusive club, men only. The wait list is supposedly like 60 years long. You have to be rich and powerful to get in. You have to be recommended by somebody already in the club. Um, and they will bring in guests who are not members of the club. So some of the like lists of people who were there or lists of people who gave talks there, it's, it's a little unclear if they are members or if they're just guests but pj what are some uh of the members that we might know yeah about? so the members list is interesting because there was one leaked document uh from the club of of a list of members a long time ago so it's got a lot of names on there you probably don't realize but but to, to give some backstory on this uh th this was actually founded in san francisco in 1872 as uh, the bohemian club and they started going out to do little retreats that started in a hotel and then they started doing retreats out in the woods. And eventually they ended up buying up 2,700 acres of Redwood Groves uh, in Northern California, about 75, 75 miles north of San Francisco. And now this is Bohemian Grove. And like you said, really strict security. They've got cameras and motion sensors and guards. Um, it's kind of unclear. Like, there's, there's a lot of conflicting stories here, and I think that comes down to the fact that, like you said, there are people, journalists and artists and people who are allowed into the club, and it's really exclusive, and they kind of want to be there. So I'm not trusting a lot of their sources sometimes for certain reasons, um, but they've had a lot of guests, and like I said, there's there's some documents, but it's really old, so it's, it's like pre 19 80, I think, or maybe it's like mid eighties when that came out. So we don't know a lot about the people since then. And even then mm -hmm. it's really, really incomplete, but we've had as many, we've had people like, uh, the Bushes, Jeb Bush is one that gets talked about a lot. And his father, uh, George HW Bush, interesting note here, George W Bush was never a full member. He's been to Bohemian Grove. He was never made a full member. So being president, being president does not automatically make you a member. Um, they've also had such people as Mark Twain, um, and then another one that might have been a guest might have been there was um, oh why can't I think of his name the the author of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh man, I'm totally blanking this right now. I forgot to put it in my notes, so it's just one that came to mind. But there are some people that speculate he was kind of behind normalizing some of the stuff that's going on there. Uh, they've also had some some people like uh, Helmut Schmidt, who is the socialist chancellor of, chancellor of Germany and former Nazi. <laughs> Uh, Henry Kissinger, they've had FBI directors, they've had foreign prime ministers as guests. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger gave a talk there at one of their lakeside chats. Uh, Richard Nixon. Um, gosh, Richard Nixon, so many. interestingly, um, Reagan. labels the talk he gave as the first step toward his presidency. A lot of people say that. And, and in the 90s, in 1995, George H.W. Bush brought his son, George W., and presented him at one of the lakeside chats and said, this guy would make a great president. So it's not just Richard Nixon saying that. And also, um, most of these people were in the Grove being talked about, being led into the... That, that is the conspiracy, is that they're, they're you know picking leaders, making policy. And one of the things that they say, one, they, they try to push out there 
is they have this this phrase and it's on their building and it's kind of a thing that's associated with this and it says uh well let me just show you the picture it says weaving spiders come not here with a picture of an owl 1872 to 1909 is when this placard was put in it says 1933 at the bottom but the the whole point they're trying to say is that well this isn't really where we make policy. It's just a big uh, fraternity boys club. We go out into the woods, we piss on redwoods, and we have a bunch of hijinks and low jinks, and we dress and drag, and uh, p- people get drunk. But we do know that there is there is chats there on on public policy. Mm-hmm. Again, something that's supposed to be public if it's public policy, uh, and all this stuff. And and um, what's something else? Also, I noticed that the the 2700 number keeps coming up, too. So I wanted to look Mm. into that because this is 2700 acres and they try to keep it to about 2700 members. So when I said we don't know most of the members, like there's a list uh, I can kind of show you on the screen really quick. This is this is a list of people and most of it's old and it kind of shows the camps they belong to. It's nowhere near 2700 and it spans all the way back to 1872. So. We have no idea just how many people are in this. There's a lot of speculation, mm-hmm. but um, like you said, some of the people that were let in kind of talked about some of the things they saw, some of the people they saw, but it's still widely unknown who's even a member. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about this because I I feel like it's important to be, like, be honest about what, what the information we have seems to say. The The member lists are incomplete, so it's, it's unclear uh, who and for what reason has been excluded from the list, but the, the people we have are pretty exclusively Republican. Right. And that is an interesting part of this. So like there's some, th- you know, that is how it's constantly talked about is this is a Republican mm-hmm. uh, club. But I, I kind of wonder about that for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is the narrative that's being put out there. But the reason I wonder about that is because when it when you look into the, there's 127 lodges. So there's basically, it's parceled off into 127 different areas with camps, uh, tents, cabins, things like that. And we only have information about a few people in mm-hmm. a few of these 127 camps. So right. some of the ones we know about are the hillbillies, which the Bushes belong to. And interesting note on the Bush family is they moved to Texas at one point to try to give themselves that Southern twang and that Southern feel to be like the good, good old boy Republicans, which if you know the history of the Bushes, it's not true of the family uh, at all. And I think that them calling them the hillbillies is kind of a play on that whole idea. Mm -hmm. You've got Ronald Reagan, who's part of the Owl's Nest. Uh, You've got people that are part of the caveman group. There's the stowaways, the wayside logs. Mandalay. Uh, so some of these people, uh, let me see, I've got this in my notes here. Uh, in the cavemen, you've got people like Nixon and Herbert Hoover. In Mandalay, you've got people like Gerald Ford. In the Owl's Nest, you've got Ronald Reagan. So again, these are all Republican presidents mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I, I kind of doubt this is true is because if you look into the artists and guests and speakers from other countries, the policy yeah. kind of stuff going on and the, the caliber of type of people are definitely not Republican, definitely, well, not conservative, right? You could you could make an argument for like two wings of the same bird, Republicans, Democrats, doesn't mm-hmm. make a difference. But as far as like the people who are not specifically politicians mm-hmm. don't seem to be advocating for anything close to Republicans. I just, I think, this mm-hmm. is a personal opinion, <clears throat> I think it, it could be that it's all Republicans' leadership or the fact that we, even the people who infiltrated, got to go to very specific camps, got to see very specific stuff, and there is a lot of, there's like 120 camps that aren't even, we don't even know a single person in them. So just the just the amount of information that we don't know, and then the fact that, you know, there's so many people there, mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that yeah. I buy that this is strictly Republican, but maybe maybe that's, I'm wrong. That's a fair point. It definitely threw me when I, when I heard some of the names, when I heard Reagan, when I heard that... Um, Justice Scalia had given a talk, one of the lakeside talks. Now, um, let me just paint a little bit more of a picture here. It, they're, basically, they have a two-week party in midsummer. It's it's like that Shakespearean midsummer, um, the, the, the very Bacchanalian. Well, also that phrase I said, uh, weaving spiders come not here, comes from mm. Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So this idea of a midsummer party is very pagan. <clears throat> Um, mm-hmm. It's it's older than Shakespeare, but Shakespeare, um, you know, pulled it in. Um, they they really they drink a lot. They they 
they, they have this huge fire pit underneath the huge owl and they do, we'll talk a little bit about the ritual in a minute, but there's a, there's a satanic ritual that they do. And that's like the nights, the nights are really crazy. They have these, these plays that they put on every year. Um, they do a different one each year. It's like a whole production. Yeah. The big plays are called hijinks. And then they've got a mm -hmm. bunch of like smaller little plays and pranks. They call those low jinks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they, you know, it's all, it's an all men club. They like to pee on trees <clears throat> for some reason. I don't really understand that, but. I, can they, I, they, can I explain the peeing on trees thing? Yes. Okay. Please. So first of all, there's a, I want to get to that, but there's a few things you said that I want to point out. I said 2,700 a minute ago and then I got sidetracked. When I looked into the number 2,700, it means casting off cares and being present in order to better predict and control future events. That comes from a lot of sources of what that number symbolizes. Um, predict and control? Predict and control future events. By casting off your cares, you will then be able to predict and control future events. That is what 2,700 mm. means. So it's definitely not an accident. Uh, the owl is their symbol, and we'll talk about the, the, the owl statue, which I'm sure everybody wants to hear about. Uh, but the owl... It was is representative of Athena, wisdom and strategy, uh, and it's also used in a lot of Masonic symbolism and in a lot of anyway. And then the grove itself, you said uh, you said midsummer and and all these druidic roots. Well, grove is a word for woodland temple, or it's also a word for a group of druids and the meetings they hold. And it's also, if you just look up the, the definition, it says a, a sacred forest groves were designated to create powerful and peaceful atmosphere in the Druidic temples, in the Druidic groves, right? And also I mentioned Helmut Schmidt, who was the German chancellor. He said that the, he, one, he was a guest there in, in 1982, I believe. And he said that the whole thing was very Druidic. So if you look at a lot of the hijinks and lowjinks again, the constant theme is Druidism versus Christianity. And the way that the media tries to play it off and why I don't trust them is because they're doing all of these obviously Druidic pagan rituals and mm -hmm. all of this very obvious Druidic pagan symbolism. And then they try to sell it to the public as in, well, this is about Christianity overcoming Druidism. And these, these nice Republican leaders are really the Christians they say they are. They're definitely not going out in the woods and burning to mm. Druidic effigies and stuff like that. And then they yeah, are, but so it's okay that they are because it's just it's a joke or something. Let's let's talk about that ritual that they do. Yeah. So Alex Jones infiltrated and got a video of this. Oh, my cats are all over my equipment. Um, <laughs> I, I literally closed the door and put a stopper under the door, and then they somehow, like, <clears throat> pound again. Like, I'm pretty sure they get their little kitty battering ram out and just right. until they can get in. <laughs> um. Yeah, I might have to get out, up and put them out in a second But while, while you're talking about the ritual. But Alex Jones infiltrated um, in what? 2000? In 2000, yeah. And there's a question <clears throat> there um, whether he he was completely successful on his own, you know, terms and infiltrated and saw, you know, exactly what was going on or whether he was allowed in to see what he was supposed to see Um yeah, I'm gonna so take care I, of the I want to talk about the Alex Jones thing real yeah, quick. Um, so with Alex Jones, he snuck in in 2000, supposedly, or not supposedly, he snuck in in 2000. And what he says is that in order to get in, he found an area where he could crawl through a ditch and avoid the cameras and sensors. And then he got past the first checkpoint and then got onto a truck with other people being taken to one of the camps. And he went through a second internalized checkpoint. And there's so many people there and there's new people there. That they kind of were just like, this guy's just part of it. Like they just didn't know he already got past the first checkpoint. So they didn't care. And then he got in and he hid somewhere until, till dark. And then at dark, he snuck out of the woods to a ceremony he'd heard about. So also according to Alex Jones, this was not the first time he snuck in. This is just the first time he was able to get in that deep. And the first time he was able to get in with a camera. So he had had inside reporting coming to him. He was looking into stuff like skull and bones and he decided that this sounds a lot like skull and bones uh, which could be a whole nother episode, but uh, and he was able to infiltrate deep enough in to get this footage and then hightailed it out of there. So I just want to show you a little bit of this footage. This is this is the most this is probably the thing if you've heard about the Bohemian Grove that you've either seen the image or you've seen the video or heard of it. Um, we've made memes about it. So let me just show this. This is just a, a small part of what he filmed of the uh, ritual they call the cremation of care. I'm a revelous 
which would pursue us here has lost its power under these friendly trees. So shall we burn thee once again this night, and in the flames that eat thine effigy, we shall read the sign, Midsummer sets us free. You shall burn me once again. <laughs> Now but leave flames, which hither ye have brought from regions where I reign. Ye fools and priests, I spit upon your fire. This definitely seems like a joke. Yeah, it seems like a joke. They're just burning an uh they're burning a fake body on an altar to an owl effigy and calling it, what did he just call it a second ago? The Eternal Prince or Dark Prince or something like that? I want to hear that again. <laughs> By the way, that is that is the voice of Walter Cronkite. That's again, why I, say, why, why I say again, why I don't feel like this is a purely Republican right-wing conspiracy party is because if you look at the guests that we do know, outside of the presidents and people like Donald Rumsfeld and the president of Halliburton who was conveniently all there together right you know in july of 2001 anyway besides that you've got walter cronkite and all of these other left-wing figures we just don't have a lot of information about all the presidents but let's, let's hear this part again. which hither ye have brought from regions where i reign ye fools and priests i spit upon your fire wow. Prince of all mortal wisdom. Prince of all mortal wisdom. It sounds like a hijinks. It sounds like a joke, or they call it a hijinks, and it's just it's just a joke. The re so I wanted to point out, you said the, the ping on Redwoods thing, because I see this in every single article. And I was trying to trace the source of this, of why this is a thing that everybody wants to talk about. If you can get any thing from the members, they're like, this is just where men go to get drunk and pee outside on, in, on the trees. This goes back to, an, an, I think it's 1987. I didn't put this in my notes, but this goes back to a 1987 case where they tried to sue the Bohemian Grove for not hiring women. Mm -hmm. And in the court case, they said, well, it would be inappropriate for us to hire women because we don't have latrines. So we just pee out on the, we just, we just whip it out and just pee in the woods. Like, which, which people do every, like, if anybody's right. been camping, every guy has done this. Like, it, it's kind of a weird thing. And I think they want to lean into it so bad because they're like, look, it it furthers our case that we can't have women there and we can't have people there mm -hmm. because it would be indecent to have certain people there documenting what we're doing because we're constantly whipping our dicks out. Like, that's, it's just in everything. Whenever I see that, I'm like, they're obviously selling the line. The Bohemian Grovers want them. They call them bohos. The bohos want them to sell to people. And it's just like really weird because it does. It makes into every single article. I like Google Bohemian Grove for ten minutes, and you'll find five articles where they talk about them peeing on redwoods. I think that's the, I think that's the history of it. Yeah, and they actually lost that case. They do have to employ women now. Um, so, uh, Josh uh, asked a little bit earlier, why is it that more people haven't infiltrated the Bohemian Grove? I think you have like two answers to that. One is that there's a lot of people who who go. There's a lot of um, staff. But they're all like trans lesbian, like they're they're just the type of people who don't they're not gonna it's not weird to them what's happening. Like, well also the staff is ritual. kept at a very different spot as the rest. So that like when you said they hire women, it's true, but they're also blocked off. So mm. the, the women who work there are allowed to work in the very front as servers and they are not allowed to go into ninety percent of this. Um, and then if you look into the security, there was people like Brad Meltzer's team who tried to break in and they all got arrested. Mm -hmm. um, really, it's really like, tough security. Like they tried to take a river. They tried to take the Russian river to the back edge of the property and then sneak up. And before they even got five feet into the woods, the police were there. Like it is mm -hmm. that well guarded. So why have there not been more people who have broken? Because Alex Jones did it in 2000 and security was tight then. And security's only gotten much more tight. And that's one of the other reasons why I don't trust a lot of the mainstream articles. It's like, there's not any security. There's no security. They're not hiding anything. They're just peeing on trees. Yeah. And I just, I don't buy it. Like, like even Brad Meltzer's documentary, which I watched last night, he was like, yeah, the rich and powerful people meet there and they're definitely making laws. And this is where the uh, Manhattan Project was formed. And this is where they introduced the next presidents. But I'm sure there's nothing going on there. And I'm like... 
I don't know. When, oh. when conspiracy theorists are that mainstream, like they're on the History Channel making these documentaries, I'm just like, I just don't trust them. I don't know. It, like yeah. when their conclusion is, yes, everything we looked at looks bad and we found nothing because we couldn't get in, but it's totally fine and normal. There was a guy who infiltrated like 20 years before Alex Jones, I want to say, and he was like a little bit off off his hinges. He He went in with like lots of firearms and he set fire to their mess hall and yeah he was like he dressed up as a superhero yeah yeah <laughs> and he was like i'm i'm hoping to draw attention to this satanic yeah. ritual by doing this he went to jail for like 11 years yeah yeah he was kind of a nutso he he took like a a, a katana and an ar-15 and he lit a mess hall on fire and it went out like instantly because of the sprinkler system and he was dressed up as a, a superhero he called himself like captain patriot or something and it, it looked like pajamas uh, like part of me wonders if that's a psyop where he was just like that whole Maybe. thing wasn't real but yeah i also i want to point out uh britta's comment here she says i wonder how much satanism starts as a joke see this is my problem mm. with the all of the reporting on this is you can't get away from the fact that they're absolutely going out there and and burning effort like burning eff, uh fake human bodies to owl effigies and praising them, and this is this is a, a ritual that has been in place since 1923, by the way. This is not just a one-off. That uh, cremation of care kicks off every single Bohemian Grove since 1923. And then people go, well, yes, they're technically doing a satanic druidic ritual, but it's a joke. So it, it's like, uh, I think I think Real Truth Cactus said this on another one of our episodes in the comments. She said, you can't just play with a Ouija board ironically. Yeah. And like, that's the whole thing. I think in order to look at Bohemian Grove and think nothing is weird, you would have to have a very atheistic mindset and believe that there's nothing spiritual at all. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's like these people are actually doing something, whether it's a joke to them or not. They're calling upon spirits and demons in mm -hmm. the woods. And like, the, I just, it, it's, and, and you made the point earlier, Abby, that they're just like, well, it's just like Burning Man. Yeah. Um, also satanic. Right. That's the whole point I was going to make is like, yes, we've normalized it now where it's like, yeah, but, you know, like other kids go out and do drugs in the woods and, and praise uh, and burn effigies and, and worship demons. And that's totally fine and normal now. Like it's become normalized. And that's the creepy part of this whole thing is like mm -hmm. if we as a culture can find a video of elite politicians going out into the woods and doing dressing up in robes and using pitchforks or sorry, using torches and lighting up, uh, lighting up effigies to druidic gods and be like well they're just playing so it's fine like mm. that's pretty weird to me i don't know yeah i want to make a couple points here so one is that you know even just if if we believe the narrative that they're just burning an effigy it's 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 already bad it's already creepy right there's a question mark whether that's true because th there's a question mark whether every year around this time people seem to go missing and this is a very big track of land, and there's just a question mark whether this is an actual person that they're burning each year. Um, there have been some reports of weird and violent sex stuff happening in this area. Um, just some weird shit. Well, well, let me ask you this, because they, what they try to say is that, that that cremation of care, it's a fake body or a pig sometimes. Mm -hmm. I've heard both stories. This mm -hmm. is a picture from 1909 well before we had really good latex and plastics and things to make a, a mm -hmm. convincing human body. Uh, does this look like a fake human body to you that they're sacrificing to the cremation of care in no. 1909? Not at all. It looks very real. Mm -hmm. That's my point. This, this lynching supposedly fake with the mm -hmm. very real looking hand on this person that they're doing in the woods of Bohemia or the Bohemian Grove. Here's some pictures, by the way. Uh, you got Nixon and Reagan there. Uh, massive amounts of people. This is totally normal. Like, even if it was all fake, and I like what Rob said, wouldn't the idea that it's a joke be part of the deception? Even if it's all fake, they're going out there, and their idea of kicking back and relaxing and having a good time is doing satanic rituals in the woods with their friends. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the people who run the world. And, and also, they dress up in drag, uh, by the way. <laughs> That's also a very normal part of the low jinx they talk about is dressing yeah. up in drag and doing, doing, uh, yeah. There's this, there's this common idea that's been around for a long time of, of selling your soul to the devil for success, for power, for money, 
for all these things. And I think that that's a, I don't think there's like one moment where somebody meets the devil and sells their soul. But I do think for a lot of these people who get into power, it's a cumulative set of decisions where they're like, well, I have to go to the Bohemian Grove. This, you know, everybody, everybody's going to be there. This is, this is a networking thing. This is a fun thing. We're just joking. You don't believe it's real. You participate in it so that you can, you know, make the human connections you need to make to get ahead. And then all of a sudden, uh, a little piece of you has just participated in a super serious ritual. Um, and if you, if you are a believer and you get into the, the spiritual stuff, there's this concept of like bindings on you that if you participate in these types of things, uh, even just as small as Ouija boards, you can get some spiritual binding on, on you that is uh, difficult to, to extricate from. Right. Yeah. I just, I don't believe in the idea of doing demonic rituals as a joke. And then that being no consequences. I just don't think it's yeah. a thing. I think it's weird that we're trying to normalize that. I think burning man is part of trying to normalize that. Uh, unfortunately, and it's become it's become a thing in, in cartoons. Like you've even got SpongeBob doing seances now, where it's just mm. like this stuff is totally fine and normal. Um, and it, to to give it the other side of the to 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 just read some of the people who are giving the other side of the story, I want to read a quote from this article by uh, G. William Domhoff titled "Social Cohesion and the Bohemian Grove: The Power Elite at Summer Camp." And this quote, I think, is pretty interesting. It says, "In fact." Every person who has written seriously on the Bohemian Grove agrees, even though they provide evidence that there is a socially cohesive upper class in the United States, the activities of the Grove are harmless. The Grove encampment is a bunch of guys kicking around, drinking with their buddies, and trying to relive their youth, and often acting very silly. These activities do contribute to social cohesion as the unintended consequence. Not unintended, but whatever. Which is why I decided to study the Bohemians in the first place, but the Grove is merely a playground for the powerful and their entertainers that give us a window into the lifestyle that is far removed from that of the average American. So even the most, even the nicest take that you could get on the Grove is that, yes, these powerful elites go there and they're hobnobbing with other powerful elites so that way they can build a social cohesion in order to screw you over in order to move towards globalism in order to do all of these things that we don't like them doing all making public policy in the dark woods in California. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's the nicest take they have on it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's like, to me, I'm like, I just, I don't understand that people are like nothing, nothing bad is happening at the Grove. They're just doing satanic rituals as a joke. And, and besides that, they're just creating foreign policy and, you know, making the bomb, <laughs> like creating the Manhattan Project was something they're pretty proud of, by the way. Yeah. Um, this made me think of, speaking of weird things the elites do. So for those of you who don't know, Madison Cawthorn, who was previously in, in a representative in, in the House, lost his last election, but he's the, the kid in the wheelchair who who had some really powerful moments. He had some some weird moments, some powerful ones too. But I went to school with him. I knew him for a couple of years. And um, he... he had only been there a little while when he said, uh, he said that he had been invited to an orgy um, with like Mitch McConnell and, and stuff. And then he uh, retracted it after a bit when Mitch McConnell censored him over it or he, he got like, some him huge backlash. <laughs> now, uh, also, he's been uh, ac accused of, of some things. And having known Madison, I think both are true that, that he, he is gay and, um, he, he wouldn't lie about an orgy like the, say what you will about him but he, he wouldn't just <clears throat> make up something like that for fun he says it so matter-of-factly it just it never seemed like a lie and then you could see yeah. like the people pushing back on him like the absolute outrage against madison cawthorn for saying hey you know those like really rich powerful people they like to do cocaine and have orgies and everybody every normal person is going well duh like we've seen House of exactly. Cards. Like we kind of all know. Like we know without knowing that this stuff is going on, and it always has yeah. been. Like now, you know, Freedom of Information Act shows us. Like, yeah, Kennedy had tons and tons of affairs, but you know, and this and the Secret Service helped him bring in hookers and drugs into the White House. This is just kind of like a normal. The Secret yeah. Service got busted doing that a few years ago, by the way. And then you could see the mainstream media attack on him, and you and it just like, oh wow. Like now we really, really know he's telling the truth because they're yeah. just going after this guy tooth and nail. And he, he ended up losing his reelection bid like right after that, after a bunch of people yeah. 
Yeah. I, I think it's always been a mistake for him to to lie about certain parts of his right. uh, his life. Like he's gay. He should just come out and and I think it would be a lot better for him if he was honest. <coughs> um but I don't think he's he would lie about something like that. So Yeah. I have to cough again. Interesting. Um so we had was there anything else we want to cover before we went over to Rumble? I know we kind of made the c- connections of the the two islands. Was there other stuff you wanted to get to? Yeah, I wanted to make a quick connection before we head over and kind of preview what we're going to be talking about. So if, big if, Bohemian Grove is a largely Republican uh, group, we have a whole nother place where elites go, where there's like a temple and they do weird things and we all know this to be true and it's Weirdly, also an island. Um, any ideas what that might have been? BJ? Yeah, it sounds, sounds a lot like uh, Clinton went there like 27 times and then made fun of the uh-huh. Bohemians at the same uh-huh. time that he was doing that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, like Ep- Epstein Island. Island, yeah. Funny enough, there is a lot of conspiracies that Clinton was part of Bohemian Grove, but he, like every time he's ever been asked about it, he just makes fun of it as being a Republican thing, and I think that might be where some of it comes from. But I think you could be right. I think that could be that there's... You know, the Uniparty, I think, exists, but I also wouldn't be surprised if there's, like, different camps that do the same debauched debauched stuff in different areas of the world. Would not surprise me. So that they don't have dirt on each other. It it would be interesting if if they just decided. That's a good point, though. That's a good point. They wouldn't have dirt on each other. The the other thing I think about, we we talked about this with CERN, but we, if if you're a believer, um, it, the the leader of the demons, um, you know, the demons are running the world, but their leader... Apollyon, Abaddon is is bound. What happens when the leader of a group of beings is is bound? Is gone? Is not present to lead? Everything runs amok. It sounds like power vacuums. I, yeah, power. I vacuums. think we have this idea that that like all of evil is united. Right. I think that's true about the Illuminati conspiracy in a lot of ways. Like that there's like one person at the head of this and that every powerful elite works together. And it seems to be like they they work together and they don't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's definitely power struggles within the elites. Uh, there's definitely differences between... Like, I think the best example today would be someone like George Soros and someone like um, uh, Klaus Schwab. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that they're like 100% on the same on page the same going team. to the same meetings, but they are working together in some ways. Just like the Uniparty idea. Yeah. It yeah. makes you wonder if if Bohemian Grove is worshiping one demon, right? Epstein's Island's worshiping another one, and and those demons might have some some similar purposes, but not necessarily all the same ones. Yeah. And so, uh, when when we switch over to Rumble, we want to talk a little bit about uh, Elon's Elon's Twitter. Some of Elon's t- like, where might Elon fall in? You know, is is he one of the goodies? Is he one of the baddies? Uh, what, what about his, his denial of, of Alex Jones from Twitter? Um, do, do we trust him? Are there reasons to trust him, reasons to not trust him? We want to talk about that over there. Um, and then we have a little bit of news that came out about some of the Maxwell files, uh, Gis, uh, Ghislaine. Gis, I'm just going to call her Gislaine. That's what I call her. Yeah. It's, it's fine. Um, G Maxwell, um, <laughs> Epstein's girlfriend. Uh, Gizzy so Maxwell. Some, some documents that might be released and, and if that uh, might be big or, or maybe not so big, or we'll talk about that over there. And then the Balenciaga story has, that was literally trending right now. Yeah. Like and, currently, uh, like today, it's like the stuff is coming out. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to hit on that over there. So we'll be over there for a little while. Uh, <clears throat> if you want to join us. Yeah. I also just want to say too, before we head over to rumble, uh, the Balenciaga stuff, I feel like there's something really there that that is, again, it's breaking as we're doing this. So uh, expect a deep dive on that in the future. And tomorrow is Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to you guys. We are going to be, we're going to be releasing a very special Turkey Day-themed episode for you guys over on Locals. So if you guys want to support the show, get some bonus content, check out conspiracypill.locals.com. And uh, you can see all that there. Really quick, I'm going to drop this link in the chat for people who might be on uh, YouTube or might be on Twitch or Odyssey. So you guys can come over to Rumble and chat with us there. We will see you guys on Rumble. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. Peace out and God bless.